Ah, they're watching, they're watching. How you doing tonight? Get your, amen, wow. What a big bunch of you out there, rowdy Christians on Wednesday night. Amen. We wanted to do like about six more songs, right, Tony? Amen. Well, we're going to get into the Word tonight, and uh, we're in Matthew 25. Moving through Matthew 24 and 25, looking at uh, the Olivet Discourse here, looking at Jesus' parables of readiness, uh, the signs of his coming. It's been a long journey, and we're getting towards the end here, so God willing, we're going to knock off another four verses tonight. But uh, let me read to you, starting in verse 31. I'm going to read you right down to the end of the chapter, and this is a... an indication of Jesus' return and what he'll do in the judgment. How many know that the Lord Jesus Christ will judge the living and the dead? Amen. He is the judge. Uh, And not Judge Judy. I mean, she's all right. I'm not, you know, but Jesus is the one who's going to judge us. And it starts here in Matthew 25, verse 31, it says this, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or you thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will answer him saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it unto one of the least of these, you did not do it unto me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now I know about you, but that should give you some goosebumps. Uh, and it's very sobering. Jesus's words were never minced. He didn't beat around the bush. He didn't uh, sugarcoat anything. He, did, he wasn't politically correct. Do you notice that about Jesus? Never read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Just spoke the truth in love. And verse 31 through 
uh, you know, 34 is where we're going to get through tonight, just four verses of that, but there's so much in there. This gives us insight to what will happen at Jesus' return. To some degree, he's painting a picture here of judgment, and he's painting a picture of what he will do in his return. Now, all of these parables in the Olivet Discourse are urging us to be in a state of spiritual readiness. Are you ready tonight? Are you ready for Jesus to return? Are you ready for the judgment? <laughs> I know there was less claps. And we're, we're trailing off. I don't know about you. I, just not too long ago, I was on the floor, and my heart was taking a break for 90 seconds. And you know what? You really have to ask yourself, because life is short, am I ready to stand before the Lord? You know, there's, there's no, uh, you know, either you're ready or you're not. And so a lot of this is watching for his coming. It's living right. It's staying in the, you know, in the will of God for our lives. But these parables, you know, the rubber hits the road here. And for those who are not ready when he comes, we could see, you know, it's not a good moment and there are eternal consequences. I want to say something about the return of Jesus that's implicated here. He first came as the lamb to take away the sins of the world. He came, he had a singular mission. He came to die and to shed his blood to break the power of sin over mankind. You see, sin reigned from Adam to Moses. Sin reigned over every human being that was born of a woman. But Jesus broke the power of sin. And that was his mission when he came as the lamb. Amen. John looked at him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But when he returns, he's not coming as the Lamb. At his return, he's coming as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Amen. He's coming to rule and reign the nations with a rod of iron in righteousness. He's coming to set all the crooked things straight and the crooked people straight. And the lies and the darkness will be exposed. I don't know about you, but this world is in need of his coming. On his return, he will rule the nations. Jesus will judge the nations. Look what it says here. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. Let, let's just stop. I don't want to get too far ahead, but once I get reading that, I get too excited. I can't quit. He's coming to judge, and he will judge every member of the body of Christ. He will judge every person who is uh, in the world. He will judge the wicked and the righteous, and he will execute his judgment with all power and dominion over every living soul. It's a sobering thought. Verse 31 sets the stage for his return. Now, I hope you were listening there. It said he will return what? In his glory. What glory? His own glory. You know, when we try to make ourselves, uh, you know, nice or uh, our appearance better, how many people spend any time getting ready in the morning to look presentable? Come on, you women are all lying. I've been married for 30 plus years when I wake up, sometimes this is it. and she's, she's beautifying herself. I'm like, you're beautiful already. Stop showing off. You're just... You're. But, you know, we spend time preparing ourselves to get out there. And, you know, we try and, we try and use every trick and everything we can to make ourselves look our best. When you put that profile picture on Facebook, took 980 shots. 
to get it where, you know, your eyes aren't half closed. But what Jesus is coming, and he's going to sit in his own glory because in his perfection and all this holiness and righteousness. He won't need to prep anything up or primp anything up. He just needs to be there and sit in his glory. And that's what he's coming and says. He's going to sit in his glory. And listen, with all the holy angels, talk about an entourage. Amen. This time he's not coming as a baby in a manger, uh, set in an animal trough, uh, you know, no room in the inn for him. This time he's coming and he's bringing all the angels with him. Amen. What an entourage. He's going to come in his glory with all the holy angels. And then what? It says he'll, he'll be seated on a throne. He will sit on the throne of his glory. Look at that. I want you to think about that for a second. It's his own glory that he sits on as a throne because of who he is. Now, when you are seated on a throne all throughout Scripture, the implication is this. That speaks of power, judgment, and authority. When the judge comes in and he's seated, he sits and he's ready to judge. When Jesus comes in his glory with all the angels and he's seated, it shows his dominion, his authority, and that the judge is ready to bring judgment. Verse 32, you know, kind of reiterates the fact that he's not coming in obscurity this time. All the nations say all. All, all the nations are going to see it on cable TV, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. Some of them probably won't carry it, but <laughs> I'll let you figure out who those ones are. But, you know, the whole world is going to see him when he comes. All the nations will be gathered before him. Did you get that? It's a powerful moment here at his return in glory with all the angels seated, ready to bring judgment. He doesn't come in obscurity. He's not hidden from the eyes of the world this time. He's not the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and every eye will see him at his return. And the nations, the people, will be gathered before him. I want you to pick up on that because nobody's going to go, you going to the Jesus thing? Nah, I'm not going to go. No, nah, I, I didn't get tickets. No, no. no everyone, Tim, is going to be gathered before him. It's mandatory. Why? Because the king is here, and he's seated, and judgment is about to take place, and all mankind will have to sit before Jesus. That's a good thing, man. And it's something that, you know, we should be working towards as believers, that believer's judgment that the Lord would be able to take what we've built with and it wouldn't be wood, hay, or stubble, but it would be the good elements so that we can produce something worthy to give to the king, amen? And here he is seated and all the nations gathered before him. Uh, verse 32b continues here. Uh, it says, he will separate, see, separate, them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats and he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left let's stop there the king is here he's got his entourage all the angels everyone's in attendance because he gathers everyone before him and then what does he do his judgment begins with separation now i want you to understand something jesus is the word of god yes. and the word of god has always been polarizing do you know when you speak the truth of god's word you are going to drive people either to your side or completely to the other side 
because the word of God is polarizing. Either they love Jesus and they're, you know, they believe the word of God, or, you know what, I've had people sit in church and pick one thing up from a sermon that just graded against their spirit. I don't like what that, I don't like what you said there. And it's because it's the word of God. And it is divisive. And it brings separation. And that's just what he's doing here. He's gathered everybody and his judgment begins with separation. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that Jesus being the word of God is in fact a divider. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the division, did you hear that? Of the soul and the spirit and of the joints and the marrow. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Jesus being the word will divide. His judgment begins with division. He separates two groups here. Now, in Hebrews uh, 4.12, Jesus, you know, he he talks about being, you know, separating the joints and the marrow. But in Matthew 10.34, Jesus himself highlights his own divisive nature. He says this. Now, this is a powerful scripture. And I think every time we hear it, we're almost like, well, that's kind of out of character. But this is what Jesus says about himself. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. All the tree huggers, all the peaceniks. <laughs> All the contestants, I want world peace. But Jesus says, I'm not your guy. Don't think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I told you he's a divider. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Jesus is affirming his divisive nature, showing that he separates even the most closest relationships on earth. Father and son, mother and daughter. The one about the daughter-in-law and the mother-in-law, we kind of get that one, but (laughs) he could have done better on that illustration, but oh, I guess I'm back. So he's divisive, he's dividing, and it's his nature. And we shouldn't be shocked over this. He begins his judgment by dividing. Now, he makes this division as a shepherd would. He divides the sheep from the goats. Now, I want to break this down into simplistic terms, you know, just so we can keep moving. But the sheep represent the righteous. How many get that? Now, we've talked about sheep a lot, and they're not the smartest animals in the barnyard. But the sheep represent the righteous who are saved and washed in the blood of the lamb. And he separates them into one group. And the goats represent the unrighteous who've rejected Christ's atonement. You see, the thing that makes you sheep is that you've received Jesus. Not that you're special, not that you're perfect, not that you're God's favorite, not that you're in a certain group or nationality or heritage. No, the thing that makes us sheep is that we're washed in the blood of the lamb, amen, and that we've accepted Jesus' atoning sacrifice. The thing that makes you a goat is that you reject Jesus Christ. I'm tempted to say, turn to your neighbor and say, you old goat. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But yeah, have you heard people call someone an old goat? It's not a compliment. It's funny, but it's not a compliment. 
And here, the, the, the distinctions here, the delineation, the separation that's taking place are sheep and goats. The concept of division is also seen in the parable of the wheat and the tares. Remember when we covered that back in 24, part of the Olivet Discourse there. Well, this is the same thought process. This is the same point here that's being made. The, the wheat and the tares, remember, they were, uh, you know, Jesus let the wheat grow with the tares, and the enemy sowed the tares, and the tares were in the church or within the people, and the, they said, let's tear them out now. And Jesus said, no, least you uproot some of the wheat. Right. So the tares are allowed to grow with the wheat and separated at the end in the harvest. This is the same principle, the same thought, the same event that was alluded to there. It's, and here's what the scripture said in Matthew 13, 30. Uh, Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, those are the angels, gather ye together first the tares and bind them up in bundles and burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. So same thoughts here expressed in a different way. The lesson here is while it can sometimes be hard to discern who are the sheep and who are the goats or who are the wheat and who are the tares, it's really not our job to do that. Well, that person's not really. I've heard Christians say about other Christians, well, that person's not saved. Are you kidding me? I'm, I'm looking at him. I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, what are you, the assistant Holy Spirit, <laughs> the discerner of men's thoughts and intentions, that you would judge another person and deem them unsaved when they sit next to you in church, but you're more spiritual than they are? You're probably going to have to mow their lawn for the first million years in heaven. <laughs> so the separation, the wheat and the tares, the sheep and the goats, all of this is a picture, the imagery is used to show that, you know, there is going to be division that takes place, and it's the initial form of judgment. The sheep, in verse 33, are put on Christ's right hand. Say right hand. Symbolizing his affirmation and ownership of them. Uh, the goats are put on the, the left, symbolizing his rejection of them. How, how many people are right-handed? Raise your right hand. How many people are lefties out there? Yeah, all right, so I'm like all my lefties. This is not God saying, I don't like lefties. <laughs> Maybe politically he don't like lefties, but... <laughs> In fact, I got a scripture for that. You know, it's interesting. Communism is a, a wicked thing, but people don't realize how, you know, how much God hates oppressive tyranny. And the word even talks about that, but he separates them into two groups, sheep and goats. He puts the sheep on his right hand, and he puts the goats on his left. Now, notice where Jesus, he's seated, and he's judging, and in the heavenly realm where Jesus is actually seated now is at the right hand of God. Luke twenty two sixty nine. 69, hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of of the power of God. Mark 14, 62, and Jesus said, I am, and ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. So this idea of being seated at the right hand of God, being seated at the right, is a biblical concept that shows, you know, affirmation and ownership. 
When Jesus sat at the Father's right hand, the Father was affirming him, giving him the name above every name, showing that he, he was pleased with his Son and giving him all power and authority that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess. Amen. So this idea of the right hand, we're going to be seated in a way that Jesus was seated. Why? Because he was the prototype of the redeemed, the firstborn from the dead, Paul says. Amen. So he was seated. We're going to be seated at the right hand. And, you know, because most of us are not shepherds, are there any shepherds here tonight? I don't see anybody with one of those hooks. No shepherds here tonight. Anyone ever have sheep or goats or barnyard animals? A couple. Come on, I know a few of you do. You just. So we're not that agrarian farming society that Jesus was speaking to. So when he talks about sheep and goats, you know, because most of us are not shepherds and don't have any context here, we don't understand the, impl the implications of what it means to be a goat. But I want to talk to you about sheep and goats a little bit. Clearly, being a goat in the kingdom of God is not a good thing. Can we agree on that? The main difference between sheep and goats has to do with their demeanor, their habits, and their nature. A goat's nature is different than a sheep's nature. If you've ever been around them, I've studied some of this, I've looked into it. Categorically, in its most simplistic terms, sheep are more docile, they're trusting, compliant, and they are flocking animals. So that's what God compares us to, that we're, as his sheep are to be docile, submitted to him. We're to trust him with childlike faith. We're to be compliant to his will, and we are to stay together in a group called the body of Christ. Sheep, amen. Goats, on the other hand, are completely different. They're more aggressive. They're more stubborn. They're prone to wandering and exploring, and they are actually mischievous. And that's why when someone calls you an old goat, don't say thank you. <laughs> but goats here are depicting the nature of the wayward, of the unsubmitted, of the stubborn heart that rejects Jesus Christ, of the one that wanders and explores and is never satisfied with the things of God, the one who's mischievous and into all kinds of folly. So better to be a sheep than a goat at this moment here when Jesus begins his judgment. Jesus is called the king in verse 34, and that's important for us to know. The king will say to those on his right hand, the sheep, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. So we're seeing the division, we're seeing the separation, we understand the nature of the two groups and the composition of the two groups, and here Jesus being called the king sits and judges the quick and the dead. Now, I want you to just notice something about that. He's seated, shows authority. He's called the king. What I want you to know is that we know that he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, but we live in a world and a generation and many of the nations that do not honor him as king of kings and Lord of lords. And when Jesus comes and sits and judges and divides, no one will say a peep. No one will be able to argue with him. No one will be able to stand against him. Nobody will ever, you know, be able to counter, counteract what he's doing. Why? Because he's the king and he's ruling and he's judging and he's sitting in authority and every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I want people to bow the knee now and get saved now. How many have unsaved friends and loved ones and neighbors that your heart is breaking for them? Amen. You know, I'm glad that we're part of the fellowship of the unashamed, that we're part of the family of God, but you know what? There's room for more. So you and I need to get out there with the gospel and in love, offer to people this salvation, this atonement that comes from this king who's coming, who will divide and who will judge. It's my heart's desire that there be no goats. Amen. There are only, you know, two goats here. You know. Look at all these sheep. But you, we know what the word says that, you know, few there be that find it. So we got our work cut out for us bringing the gospel to the lost. But the king is going to be acknowledged as the king. And all those stubborn, divisive mockers that mock Christianity, that mock Jesus, they're going to have to confess that he is Lord. So when you see somebody mocking and they're vitriolic and they're angry and they're nasty, pray for them because they're going to answer to the king and he's going to sit on his throne and there's going to be no recourse for them at that moment. Verse 34, the king speaks to the first group he divided and put at his right hand. He says, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. A beautiful invitation here. He's inviting us, his sheep, to be with him in eternity. What a great moment, amen? When Jesus, you know, divides off the wheat and the tares, the sheep and the goats, and he, he looks at his people that he redeemed by his own blood, and he invites them to spend eternity with him. That is the, that is the moment in life that I'm looking forward to more than anything else. When it is, as Jesus said on the cross, finished. When there's no more tears, when there's no more struggle, when there's no more sin, when there's no more sickness, when there's no more disease, Pastor Mike, and Jesus invites me and you and all of us to be with him in eternity, and it is finished. Wow. A great moment. He invites the bride, his bride, to join him in his eternal kingdom. What a wonderful invitation, one that we should yearn to hear and that we should uh, give everyone the opportunity to be part of, amen? Jesus acknowledges that those who followed him are his sheep, and not only that they're his sheep, but they're the fathers as well. Do you see what it says here? And the king will say to those at his right hand, come you blessed of my father. Interesting, isn't it? We're redeemed by the lamb, and Jesus is the name above all names, but he has also connected us to the father, that we're not only his sheep, but we're the father's sheep as well. The only way you and I can have the father's blessing is to receive his son as savior and Lord. People say things like, well, I don't believe in Jesus, but I have a relationship with God. I want to tell you 1 John 2 says that that's an absolute lie. 1 John 2, 23 and 24 says this, whoever denies the son does not have the father. The one who confesses the son has the father also. As for you, see that you see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If what you heard from the beginning remains in you, that's the gospel, you also will remain in the son and in the father. 
One more time, let me read that John 2, 23. You should get this in your heart. Whoever denies the son does not have the father. The one who confesses the son has the father also. Well, I'm not down with this Jesus stuff, but I'm spiritual and I have a relate. No, you don't. I'm sorry. You might be spiritual, but you're not in relationship with the God of heaven and earth because we have one access point to him. And some people will get mad. Well, how could you say Jesus is, well, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Look, either he's credible and he's truth and he's Lord or he's a a madman and had a Messiah complex and none of us should be here tonight. You're thinking about that. But if we have the son, we have the father. And we're the son's sheep. And Jesus acknowledges, you're, you're my father's as well. W- what an incredible connection we have through Jesus Christ. Remember those people that say they're spiritual or they're new agey or they, you know, they pray to angels or they got crystals. Listen, all that stuff is not going to get you in the right-hand group of sheep. That's, that's godification right there, okay? I, I just made that up, but you, you will godify yourself if you, you, you need Jesus, amen? And the good thing is, is that he loves you and he desires you and his Holy Spirit is drawing you, amen? So the final topic here in verse 34, and I close with this, gives the details of something that we gain in Christ. Listen to verse 34. For the king will say to those on his right hand, come you who are blessed of my father. We touched on that. Inherit, say inherit. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The last topic that we're gonna cover tonight here in verse 34 is the topic of our inheritance in Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of us maybe don't have a big inheritance uh, on earth. You know, anybody here named Rockefeller? <laughs> no, any, any, you know, any Gates people here tonight? No, most of us are not looking at a big, you know, oh, well, I'm going to, you know, I got a big, you know, when, when, when Fred goes to see Jesus, boy, I'm telling you. <laughs> you know, we don't have much to leave each other here, right? Anybody? You, you guys burying it in your yard? You're not telling me what? <laughs> But, like, we don't have this big inheritance to look forward to. Wow, I'm going to be. But you know what? Every one of us who is in Christ has a magnificent, incredible inheritance to look forward to in Jesus Christ. You know, it won't show up on your portfolio or in your bank statement, but if you're in Christ, you are wealthy and rich and blessed and have an incredible inheritance to look forward to. And that's a good thing. What we will inherit is Jesus himself. And we will inherit the kingdom of God. Look what it says here. Come you who are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom. Did you hear that? What we're inheriting is more than stuff and mansions and blessings and bliss and this and that. You know, I hear people say, when I'm in heaven, I want this and I want that and I want to be able to fly. You know? <laughs> okay, okay, I get you. But the thing is, we're going to inherit Jesus and we're going to inherit the kingdom of God. Amen. <laughs> now, I know that's hard for us and maybe some of you are thinking, well, I'd rather fly. Well, you're going to... 
You're going to get both. But we've got to understand that this is the inheritance we have to look forward to. We're inheriting a kingdom. Being translated out of the kingdom of darkness in this world through the blood of Jesus, we inherit the kingdom of heaven for eternity in the presence of God. What an amazing inheritance we have. I want to tell you something. Hell was never intended to house human beings. Hell was never intended to, for people to go there. Hell was a place that God created to punish Satan and the demons who rebelled against him. Man was never supposed to go to hell. But sadly, many people will wind up there because they reject the one escape route, and that's Jesus Christ. Hell wasn't intended for man. Hell was intended to torment Satan and the demons. Heaven is the place that God prepared for man. Look what it says here. Come, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom. Listen, prepared for you from the foundations of the earth. Wow. What God prepared for us was stolen away by sin. But Jesus redeemed it by his death on the cross. And now we inherit him and his kingdom. And all of us have a place and a part in the family of God. Amen. Amen. Our inheritance is a reward that comes to us directly from Jesus. Colossians 3.24, and I close with this. Knowing that it is from the Lord that you will receive the reward of the inheritance. Did you hear that? From the Lord. Who's that? Jesus. You will receive of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Our greatest gift and blessing in heaven will be Jesus himself. And then the Father's presence for eternity. And then all of the heavenly kingdom is ours. You are rich people tonight. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for the scripture that reminds us of these things. We can get so hunkered down in the daily routines of life and the muck and the mire of this world that we forget we have an eternal destiny uh, uh, being your sheep, being redeemed, that we have an inheritance in Jesus Christ that we're headed for heaven. Father, expand our faith. Give us a a snapshot of of what lies in front of us, Lord, because sometimes we just can't see it. Sometimes we can scarcely believe it. But Father, convince us that this life is not the final goal, but we're headed for an eternal kingdom. And help us to labor in this life by laying our life down that we would preach the gospel and show the love of God to the lost, that we would be wise and win souls. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Give him praise tonight.